Hi there, listeners. Welcome to the 963 Universal Frequency. I'm your hostess, Claire, spreading awareness with an open heart, an open mind, living life and being free. It is a beautiful sunny day here in Perth, Western Australia. The rain is still yet to come. The nights are getting colder, but the days have been bright and luminous. The butterflies are out. By the time I air this, it will be Sunday. Today it's Saturday, and it's a great Saturday at that. I should also share, last weekend I spent a weekend in Nana. It was my birthday, the 28th of April. This birthday was off the charts because I didn't experience a lockdown. For the past two years, I have had a lockdown on the week of my birthday or even on the day of my birthday, maybe a couple of days before my birthday, I was being a little dramatic. But yeah, I've definitely had a lockdown during my birthday. It was refreshing to not have to experience a lockdown. On top of that, what really put the icing on the cake, WA Western Australia has dropped all exemptions. So no G to G passes, no permits to travel interstate. You are not required to be triple dosed to enter Western Australia. You no need to wear a mask, which was the highlight. <laughs> they were they were the the flames on the candles. <laughs> not having to wear a mask. I think you still need to wear it in some places, but I'm not going to hang out at those places. So. I don't really care about those joints. But yeah, you don't need to wear a mask in a restaurant, in a club, in a bar, when you're doing your food shopping. Uh, It's just, uh, I'm so relieved. I'm so happy that's ended. As I was saying, to enter Western Australia, you don't need to be triple dosed. However, and unfortunately, if you are in the health, food and mining industry, you still need to be. That's unfortunate. But I feel as if... Western Australia is getting back to some sort of normalcy. Yeah, until the next virus. (laughs) Anyway, I just thought I'd share that because, yeah, it's great. It's great times. I thought I'd also share as well. I actually saw a shaman when I was in Nanup. So highly recommend uh, Sacred Radiance if you end up going to Nanup and you think, hey, why not? Why why not go see a shaman? go to Sacred Radiance. They, it's a great little practice that they've got there and it was a great experience. I'm definitely going to do an episode on shamans and shamanism. So, yeah, stay tuned for that. And what else should I share with you? What else exciting is happening? Well, actually, today, Saturday, <laughs> this is pretty important actually, it's the 30th anniversary of Fang Long Gong or Fang Long Dafa. So it's a Perth community that we have here in Western Australia. For those of you that are not aware, it is a ancient Chinese spiritual practice. I I suppose a good way to explain it is it helps improve one's health and energy levels. So the the belief system of Fang Gong teaches one to let go of unhealthy habits and to strive to attune to one's life with the universal principles of truthfulness, compassion and tolerance. So you can get onto maybe your Facebook if you're interested and find your nearest Fang Long Gong uh, practitioner that might be doing a session in a park. And I went to one this morning, which was just a great experience. You basically do these five gentle moving exercises for about 45 minutes. And then you do a 15 minute meditation session. And obviously, if you have any questions or if you're interested in learning a bit more about anything, you just speak to the practitioner. And today, as I said, it's the 30th anniversary. So there's an event that was in the city earlier today. It's not just about the this ancient tradition for the mind, body and spirit. There's also a political and uh a lot of suppression, violent suppression that has happened with this tradition and the people that practice it. So I'll give you a little bit of background to it. It's pretty it's pretty deep, but you know, over the last 20 years, it would have been 
the Chinese Communist Party, CCP, tried to ban the practice because of how many people were actually following it and how well society had actually become. So the crime rate went down, people's sickness went down, and it was it just seemed as if it was a very peaceful practice that was making a trend and people were doing it in parks on the streets and i believe the the government just didn't like it uh many chinese people that were practicing it uh were they were illegally detained and basically wrongfully imprisoned and they were tortured and killed for following this practice and if you look into it you you will be baffled as to why the government was so concerned about these people that were practicing something from mind body and spirit many of those that were following the practice were either kidnapped or they were just forcefully taken and sent to these labor camps and while they were still alive, their organs would be removed. It was a, a business for international people that were looking for organ transplants. And it kind of, in a way, proved that people that practice this teaching, that their internal organs were were strong, fit and healthy, that they that this, this practice actually works. So it does give you some sort of validation that, that, is, that it actually works. But in saying that, you know, a lot of people have lost their lives wrongfully because of such a harmless practice that's only just used to benefit themselves. So like I said, there's a lot that goes into it. Uh, it can get a little bit political. The Fung Long Gong community here in Perth were actually banned from going into the Christmas pageant. So I don't know if you heard about that, but that's how political this type of practice is and if you look into it or if you go to a free session and all of their sessions are free i think maybe the books you pay for the books but other than that uh it's seems to be a a harmless practice so uh i just thought i'd mention that because it is their 30th anniversary i think that they deserve some good vibes as to those innocent people in China who lost their lives in a barbarous way and to those survivors that endured such cruelty and the after effects that it most likely has on them all because of what they believe in. Man, there are some nasty motherfuckers out there, right? Anyway, sending good vibes to China and to the Fang Long Gong community. Uh, some more people that deserve some good vibes would be... America, because May is the month of mental health for America. So here in Australia, our mental health month is October. America is May. And I've been hanging on to this episode to play for May. So it's it's, it's playing at the right time. My guest is Rachel Gerson, who is somebody that has experienced mental illness and who has also recovered from mental illness. I'm not somebody that has experienced it or that has it, at least I don't think, (laughs) but I know people, uh, I grew up with a parent that suffered from mental illness, seeing that as a child and growing up with someone with these mental health issues, it, it does still impact you in some way. And, and even if it is a loved one, if it's your child, or if it's your partner, it can also be very damaging to the, the bystander. So I just think that's very important to mention as well. It's not just the person that is experiencing the illness, it's everybody else around them. It impacts everybody. I will now play the episode and I trust that you enjoy Joining me from Michigan in the United States is Rachel Gerson. Rachel is the host of the Doorway to Self podcast, a show specializing in psychic education, alternative and holistic mental health. She is a metaphysical practitioner and counselor, and I'm thrilled to be connecting with Rachel. Thank you so much for connecting with me. Thank you for having me on. I'm delighted to connect with you as well. I'm intrigued by your story as you are someone who has experienced mental illness and recovered. 
you have become a mentally healthier person following a holistic program. Could you please share your journey with the listeners? Sure, absolutely. So the the very short version of it is I was diagnosed with bipolar one disorder when I was 19 years old, or excuse me, 20 years old. Um, I was diagnosed um, by a psychologist who did testing um, and also a conferring psychologist as well, who I had been working with for several years beforehand. Um, both of them agreed on the diagnosis. And then I started to do work um, to understand um, what this illness exactly meant in my being, in my body, um, and specifically in correlation with my spirituality. And because I, I always was a very, very highly attuned spiritual um, worker. And um, so I started employing this CBT cognitive behavioral therapy technique um, called tracking, mood tracking, um, which basically is exactly what it sounds like. So you are tracking your moods, you're tracking when you're feeling depressed or when you're feeling manic or when you're feeling neutral or um, somewhere in between. Um, and I started to notice this through line that when I was experiencing extreme mood swings um, or extreme depressive or manic episodes, it was always correlating with someone else either in my environment or someone else who I'm very closely connected to energetically um, having a huge life moment or having high emotions of their own or something like that. Um, so I started to track all of this stuff um, and found the correlation to be um, pretty much unanimous across the board. Every single episode I had was correlated. Um, and so through that, I then realized, oh, shoot, okay, I never wanted to admit this, but I guess I'm an empath. Um, and meaning that I feel other people's emotions as my own or energies as my own. Um, and so I started kind of doing the work around that and learning how to come home to myself, um, learning that I didn't even know who I was because I had so many other people's energies in my body that I had just completely lost myself. Um, so rediscovering who I was. Um, and then about two years into doing that work, um, both the psychologist who diagnosed me originally and the conferring uh, psychologist both um, revoked my diagnosis, my diagnosis. And they said, yeah, you're actually, um, you don't have bipolar anymore. You have, um, you've gotten healthy. So, wow. um, yeah. So that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. No, Cause a lot of people that, well, I've, I don't know a lot of people. I know maybe two people that experience bipolar and they are constantly on medication and I can always tell when they're off their medication too. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, they've had it for years and to, you know, so how long would you say you would have had bipolar for? Um, well, that's kind of up in the air. I actually was tested at first when I was 13 years old, um, but I was tested via um, the interview style, which is not very reliable, especially when you're a 13 year old who has done a ton of research on the symptoms of bipolar and you don't want to be put on medication. So you lie through the entire exam. Mm -hmm. um, so that's what happened when I was 13. But there were definitely speculations of it as early as 13, um, which is pretty rare with bipolar. Usually it doesn't show up until um, at the earliest, like maybe 17. Um, uh, and yeah, it usually shows up sometime between the ages of like 17 to 25 is the, um, the natural age range. Um, but yeah, there were speculations very early on in my, in my years. Um, so who knows how long I had it? Maybe it was seven years. Maybe it was longer than that. Um, I don't know. Yeah. Okay. And medication, were you on medication throughout that whole time? I was time? not on medication at all. So I was very thankful that um, the psychologist I was working with was very amiable to trying natural methods first. Um, I'm not against medication. Um, I do think that medication can be really, really helpful for severe cases um, or for people who just don't have the uh, wherewithal to kind of go the long route like I did. Um, I actually was talking to um, someone the other day um, who was just by diagnosed with bipolar 
Um, she went on medication. She's so happy about it. She says it's changed her life. Um, and I'm really grateful for her about that. And, and she said, yeah, and you never went on meds. And I was like, yeah, I didn't. And sometimes, honestly, in retrospect, I look at it and I'm like, shoot, I, I really <laughs> robbed myself of a lot of joy, not, um, you know, not going the, the quick route of um, just being held in that and allowing my brain to connect or correct itself with those chemicals. But I also recognize that this this is my path in life and I really needed to take the slow road and I really needed to massage the process and um, and really understand kind of the details of, oh, this energetically affects me in X, Y, Z way. And, oh, okay, this is how this energy is connected here. And um, this is how I can clear here. And this is how I can come back to myself here and et cetera, et cetera, so on and so forth. And I don't think I would have had the clarity of that research uh, mentality or, or ability if I had been on medication that would have sped things up for me. So thank you for sharing that. There is still so much stigma attached for those who suffer from mental illness. So I appreciate you being a courageous soul and speaking out. What types of behaviors and symptoms may a person with bipolar struggle with? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, so there are actually two main types of bipolar disorder. Um, and then there's a third as well called cyclothymia, um, which I believe I probably was closer to cyclothymic than bipolar one. Um, but we can get there in a minute. So with um, so all three of them look very different, actually. Um, so bipolar one is kind of the quote, classic bipolar disorder. So this is the one that's usually portrayed, albeit most of the time, very poorly in the media. Um, but it usually so every type of bipolar, no matter what is going to involve depressive episodes. Um, a depressive episode can last anywhere from um, I mean, to, to be categorized as a mental illness, it needs to last at least two weeks. Um, that's kind of the threshold period. So if you have depression or depressive symptoms for two weeks, then that's kind of the tipping point to be like, okay, maybe I'm struggling with depression or maybe I'm struggling with um, bipolar disorder of some sort. Um, so depressive episodes look like many different things. Um, but some of the symptoms can look like hopelessness, um, loss of joy in activities that you otherwise would have enjoyed doing, uh, change in appetite, either overeating or undereating, uh, change in sleep patterns, maybe not sleeping at all or sleeping way too much. Um, uh, maybe stuff like isolation. Um, a lot of people who suffer from depression can also fall back on substance use or addiction um, very easily as well. Um, loneliness, feeling unsupported, um, and then just deep, deep, deep pain, deep grief. Um, and most of the time with, quote, zero reason for why that's happening. Um, although as I've been doing my research, I've found that there's just that's not true always <laughs> for why it's happening. But um, so that's kind of the depression part of things. And then you have the mania and that's where things look different for bipolar one, bipolar two and cyclothymia. So with bipolar one, a manic episode would look like, um, again, many different things. So it could look like usually something with risky behavior, right? So, um, something there there are usually these feelings of grandiosity and euphoria of like i'm on top of the world i can accomplish anything i you know i'm super super powerful which like we all are powerful and that's important to believe in and understand but it's a level of um this it's it's a level of delusion where we can kind of elude ourselves and and believe that we have power beyond what's actually humanly possible. Um, so there's all of that. And then we can look at things like, again, um, maybe some risky behavior around addiction or um, hypersexuality or, um, you know, things like maybe get, going up to the top of a building and believing you can fly and trying to jump off, things like that. 
Um, so it can be really, really, really scary. We usually see hospitalizations happening more so with um, the manic episodes actually than with the depressive episodes. Um, and mania can last anywhere from a couple of hours to um, a couple of days. It usually does not last more than a week because the body will burn itself out because you're just like not sleeping and you're like, ah. <laughs> so, um, so that I, I kind of akin it to, I've never done cocaine, um, but I kind of just like from reference point understand it's like being on cocaine um for like days on end because you're just like i have all this energy you're not sleeping you feel like you can do anything um so that's the mania for bipolar one um bipolar two um the mania actually looks more like aggression um and so it looks more like just like deep aggravation and so it, it it might it might even appear as like anger issues or bursts of anger um uh the mania it, it's it's a lot more subtle and because of that a lot of people with bipolar 2 actually get misdiagnosed with depression um because it's just it's really hard to spot um and then with cyclothymia cyclothymia looks like bipolar 1 but just in shorter spurts so you might have like two hours of a depressive episode and then like an hour of mania like right after back to back and it's just like cycling 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 for like 48 hours and then you neutral out um for a week or a couple weeks or whatever um so yeah i hope that answers your question it does absolutely it makes sense for instance those who i know with bipolar one person cool. i should say in particular has these outbursts of happiness that can be very exaggerated oh. really extreme yeah. and this one one thing this experience that they've had that's made them so happy really changes their world and all it takes is one small obstacle that turns their world upside down and i'm not saying that this is what bipolar is but it's a an example of a, a behavior that I've noticed from someone that I know quite well that has bipolar and it takes just one circumstance one little circumstance to disrupt the balance of their world and it can actually be quite an intense roller coaster ride for a bystander too but you are now recovered, which is fantastic. And it really is an inspiring story for those seeking guidance and for those wanting to find a alternative to pharmaceutical medication. Your pathway is pretty much set for you now in terms of finding your passion. You found it in metaphysics and helping others who are suffering from mental illness and using a holistic approach as well in your methods so yeah it just seems as if it's all come together your life journey to exactly where you should be and you have also found your psychic ability can you elaborate on your discovery to tuning into this skill sure um there's honestly not much of a story there i i so my tagline for my business story to self is if you're human you're psychic um and i innately believe that we come into this world with psychic perception um if you think of what does it mean to be psychic it literally means to experience energy on a conscious level um and on an unconscious level but definitely on a conscious level so um when we think about what is energy energy is just movement it's stuff in motion and we are energy um we're energetic beings our molecules are constantly vibrating we have a soul where i mean you know this stuff you talk about this stuff all the time <laughs> um so so we are energy and because of that why wouldn't we have the ability to perceive energy as well um i think it's just you know we we've grown up kind of pre-new earth so to speak right in this place that doesn't want to acknowledge that we are energetic beings and we do have energetic perception and so as children either we are trained out of that sphere 
or we have experiences that are terrifying in the psychic world. And so we block ourselves off and we, we no longer want to experience it. Um, there are a few cases, very, very far and few between, few and far between, um, <laughs> that, um, that people will not lose their abilities and they will remember them their entire lives. And so that's kind of my story. Um, I didn't want to resonate with being an empath specifically with having clear empathy, because to me, that was um, a weakness. I was like, why would you ever want to feel other people's feelings? That sounds horrible. And it sounds super sappy. And like, you know, I was used to seeing all of these like empaths online, they were like super <laughs> whiny and just like, oh, no, poor me, I'm an empath, you know, and I was like, oh, that's just doesn't taste good in my mouth. Um, so I just, I always just kind of belittled that and judged it and was like, there's no way I'm that. But I definitely always identified with being clairvoyant, having psychic sight, um, being clairaudient, psychic hearing, um, uh, clear essence, which is psychic scent has kind of come in and out for me. Um, but I've always identified for sure with the clairaudience and the clairvoyance, um, and also with clairsentience, which is, um, the ability to feel the energy between, well, essentially like where your energy meets the rest of the world. So, um, feeling how others, other energies kind of interact with your own. Um, and usually those come out in, um, psychosomatic symptoms as well. So you might feel like, uh, tingling in the hands or chills in the body or, um, anxiety in the pit of your stomach or like butterflies or, you know, things like that. Um, so yeah, I've always, always identified with those things. I've always identified with mediumship, um, and as a channel, um, and, uh, yeah. I've noticed with all my guests that they share a similar response when they answer that question. And that is that they are not special. Everybody has the ability to be psychic. Some may be a little more in tune than others, but we as humans are all capable of tuning into it. We just need to yep. immerse ourselves into the study and focus. And I agree, we we can be at different levels, but anybody can develop the skill. We're all integral spirits, part of the universe. And it's becoming more acceptable in society. And even science is acknowledging, well, that I, I believe that they've always understood the power of intuition, forebodings and premonitions but they are slowly releasing the information to the public little by little. You stated your practice is cutting edge. Oh, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I, I identify with that just because I've never, I've never seen anybody else who does the work that, um, that I'm doing, uh, which is really unfortunate. And I, if there's anybody listening to this episode who does do this work, I really want to invite you to reach out to me because I'm always looking for collaborations in this field for sure. Um, the more that we can pool our research together, uh, the more that we can um, kind of have each other's backs and, and get the information into the collective, which is just so necessary. Um, the amount of pathologizing that happens in our society is honestly, in my eyes, a truer illness than the actual mental illnesses that um, are occurring um, or that's been done, but differently. Um, and I mean, we can, we can even look back to like the work of Carl Jung, like he was doing what I'm doing. It just, um, people weren't ready for it yet. And it's still, I think in most people's understanding is so, um dreamy you know it's so kind of like fantastical to most people um and so i guess like he paved the way for so many of us to be able to and so many others as well but um to be able to to access this world in a way that is more now concrete and more um realistic i hesitate to use that word but yeah it's uh, with metaphysics, the, the tools that you use, like, I, mean, I mean, I'm not familiar with all of them. I, I get the, the fundamentals of what they are, but astrology is one when that comes up in conversation with people that are not 
familiar with any of this realm. <laughs> I'm going to call it a realm because sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, they kind of make fun of it. They look at astrology as the weekly horoscope as opposed to, you know, the, mm -hmm. the real practice behind it, which is you know, dates back in ancient times. So why would you think or what, what, what are your thoughts on how astrology has turned into this, you know, reading star signs and wish-washy, airy-fairy stuff, you know, because there's, there's just so much, um, I guess, culture to it and there's so much information and, and energy. It's all related to energy and a lot of people don't really believe in that and how it can affect people's moods. And so, yeah, I was just wondering like, mm -hmm. if you could share your thoughts on, on all of that, if that even was a question. I'm sorry. Sometimes I do that. I ask too many questions yes, at once. No, that, that was... <laughs> okay. no, you don't. That, that was great. I love this question so much. I don't know if for those of you who are listening to audio, we are looking at each other's faces <laughs> over Zoom right now. And I don't know if you saw me smile <laughs> really well just now when you asked that because I absolutely adore this question. Um, so I used to despise it. I used to be like, oh my gosh, like this is the reason why other people are not believing this. And this is why, um, you know, like pop culture is just des destroying astrology right now and, and debunking it and et cetera. Um, but I've actually grown to really appreciate it, um, especially in the last couple of years. Um, reason being, while it does provide exactly what's necessary for the skeptics to be able to to debunk everything they are already <laughs> wanting to debunk in the first place, it also provides a foothold for those who are curious to begin to step into the true education. Um, so I, I definitely incorporate astrology in my practice. Um, I, when I'm working with clients a lot of the time, most of the time we will pull up their blue, their blueprint, their birth chart. I call it your blueprint, right? Um, because it, it's the blueprint for your being. Um, and when people think about astrology, you're right. A lot of the time it's, oh, this is my sun sign. Like when people say, oh, I'm a Leo, they're speaking to the fact that when they were born, the sun was in the constellation Leo upon their birth time. Um, uh, now, of course, there's the whole debate about if that's actually true or not, because that's going by Western astrology rather than where the actual planets and sun and etc. were showing up in the sky at the time of your birth. But that's a whole other conversation. Um, so, so I tend to pull people's charts up in session because we can look at things like if you were to look at my chart, right? For instance, um, my chart was so healing to me, um, and still continues to be on, on this journey, um, being able to look and see, oh my gosh, you know, for those of you who are astrology nerds out there, oh my gosh, I've got five sky objects um, or four sky objects in my ascendant in Scorpio. And most of those land in the 12th house. Like that is going to be um, instilling a lot of psychic awareness into me. And it's going to also project a lot of disillusionment for other people who might be looking at me and projecting mental illness onto me too, which has also been a huge struggle for me. Um, so you know, being able to to utilize astrology for mental health, it's huge and it's such an untapped area. Um, so so there's that, but I, you know, going back to your original question of how I feel about this kind of pop culture astrology, um, I see it already transitioning the collective. Like I, I see that we've gone from uh, we've gone from just like these weekly horoscopes in the Sunday paper, you know, so to speak, um, to now like major news channels yeah. starting to like talk about Mercury retrograde and um, starting to talk about the effect that eclipses are having on our collective emotional psyche. And I'm like, you know, most of the information, um, I would say it's 50-50 between being accurate and being kitschy. Um, but even, you know, shoot, I'll take that 50% of kitschiness 
uh, if it's going to come with the education and, and also other people's then curiosity peaked to then go explore and look at their own chart or have a session with an astrologer or, um, you know, etc. Because I really think it is um, sometimes the false light is a medium for education to come into the collective so we can then find the true light yeah. through it. Oh, that's brilliant. When you, uh, I should actually ask you this question before because uh, one of my listeners had asked, what is metaphysics? Mm. We can understand that they are tools, but I've always found metaphysics a tough one to define because I feel it's a combination of philosophies and quantum physics, the nature of reality, the nature of existence, space and time. So, yeah, it's just good to to hear your perspective on that. Um, so if you break down the word uh, metaphysics, meta means beyond and physics, physics, the physical, right? So it literally means beyond the physical. Um, and so when we look at it that way, it's exactly as it sounds. We're talking about the energy world. We're talking about things that can be experienced, but not physically um, seen, heard, felt, etc. cetera. Um, although I, you're hearing me hesitate after I say that because I, I definitely believe the human body is a metaphysical tool in and of itself. Um, as I said before, we are energy, we're channeling energy through ourselves all the time. Um, but, um, yeah, so looking at the definition of metaphysics, it's, it's literally anything beyond our 3d world and understanding, because even what I just spoke is kind of more fifth dimensional, right? It's, it's where we're understanding that our body is innately a spiritual tool. Um, where in the 3D world, it's just kind of seen as like a body. Right. <laughs> With all of the, the information that you have learned and discovered in metaphysics, what would you define as spirituality? Hmm, that's a really good question. I guess I don't lean on the term spirituality for myself. Um, I just, I just am, <laughs> I don't know. I think, I think sometimes we get so caught up in definitions and, and I think definitions are important, you know, in, in order to be able to gain perspective and understanding into who we are and, and how we are. Um, if you had asked me this question a decade ago, um, I would have probably spewed a bunch of stuff to you about how, um, you know, yes, I was spiritual, but um, my whole spirituality was witchcraft, because that's exactly where I was a decade ago. Um, now, I would say that witchcraft is a detail. <laughs> I'm like, um, I, and I would say that even calling myself metaphysical is a detail. I I guess my whole spiritual philosophy is, is just experiencing, it's just being, it's, um, it's feeling all of the energy that I am and, and feeling where it meets the energies around where I am and within who I am. And, um, and then kind of going from there, I guess. I know that was a little bit and elusive. No, I feel the same because I always saw, yeah, I guess I am spiritual, but then I tend to feel like everything is just a concept in mm -hmm. a way. And and so many people have different ideas and and I'm and nothing is when you think about it, nothing is right or wrong because it's that person's perspective. It's their reality. So you can't really say oh, you know, there isn't a heaven and there isn't a hell because there is somebody that thinks that. So, so yeah, no, I'm, I'm also at that point now where I kind of think, what is spirituality now? Is it just a term? <laughs> you know, and it is. <laughs> it's funny that you just said at that point, because I feel like, like it is a point that people get to, um, like once you've done a lot of work on yourself, um, 
and you've been introspective and you've researched who you are and you've understood, you know, our oneness with the collective and, um, and simultaneously our sovereignty and, you know, et cetera. Like once we begin to understand each of these concepts, um, then everything is just fluid and it just is. And then it's like, wait, but what are words? And what, what, what is the dictionary? Why does it yeah. exist? Um, but also right. it needs to, but also it doesn't. And then you know, kind of going back and forth. Um, yeah, but it's something that I, yeah. I definitely poo-pooed, you know, earlier on um, in, my, in my path. Um, because I was just like, what? Like, no, that you have to have definitions. And if you don't know, if you don't have a definition, then you don't know who you are and you're just spiritually bypassing and, you know, et cetera. So it's just a funny yeah. dance we do, I really think. But. It is. It can be fun. Well, I find it fun yeah, researching <laughs> and participating and meeting people who yes. share their experiences and beliefs. <laughs> I'm such a big kid, right? <laughs> no, but I, I really do. I love hearing other people's opinions, perspectives, and I I always find that I learn something new. Yes. Or if I'm uncertain about something, I I tend to just kind of backtrack and listen to other people and I kind of connect the dots that way too. Yeah, so yeah, it's fun. <laughs> I feel like I feel like you probably come on and you interview all these people and you just have all of these wonderful like moments of just everything lighting up and going, oh, that makes sense. I, I feel as if talking to a lot of people and discovering new uh, practices and holistic methods, I, I, I feel like it, it helps me to understand the path that I'm on also. And I love asking deep questions <laughs> I'm a deep person I'm, I'm not one for that small talk I mean I can do small talk but it's kind of just to fit in I, I have a blast I really enjoy asking those deep meaningful questions which brings me to the afterlife what are your thoughts on where we go when we die Ooh. <laughs> oh, wow. You are really hitting the big questions. I, you know, I loved this when I listened to a couple of your other, uh, a couple of your other episodes. I was like, wow, she just gets right to it, which I just really appreciate about you. Um, and also it's daunting. Holy cow. Um, but so great. Um, what are my thoughts on the afterlife? So this is another one of those that has evolved over time and just continues to evolve. So the answer I give you now is probably one I'm going to listen back to three years from now and go, yeah, I don't believe yeah. that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, but in this very present moment, um, I believe that I, I believe in the spiral of time. I believe that all time is happening at all times. It's happening simultaneously. Um, so do I believe in the afterlife? Yes, but also the afterlife is occurring in the before life and it's also occurring in the present life. Um, I believe in past lives. I believe in future lives and I believe that everything is happening all at once. Um, I also believe in multiple dimensionality and why I bring that up and why that's important is because where perhaps uh, I might be dead on another in another dimension on another timeline um, in this same lifetime, I'm alive now. And so there might be ripples of my current self in this dimension on this timeline that are rippling out to that other dimension where I'm dead. So I'm still alive, but I'm also dead. There also might be ripples of other lifetimes that are rippling out to that lifetime or that dimension where I'm dead. Um, or yeah, I mean, there are so many, it's so complex. There's so many different possibilities. I'm in agreement with that because yeah, there's just so many things that you just can't explain and just little things can trigger it. I don't know how you feel about deja vu. Yes. 
But deja vu is definitely one of them where I think I just did this or I've done this, but in another place and time. And <laughs> yeah. yeah, like some people just go, oh, no, nah, you just, you know, it's just something at the back of your brain. But I think it might be stronger in some people, but I feel as if, no, no, nah, this happened with the same, like with you right next to me, the same person, but we were in a different dimension like it's really bizarre you obviously don't share that information yeah. um because you don't have or you can but or yeah you, you know some people think oh you're crazy <laughs> i'm a huge believer in other dimensions <laughs> and um you know holographic universe electrical universe theory and even the multi-universes and and the parallel universes all mm. of it i believe it's information that just cannot be lost in quantum physics and it it ends up in another place all the time yes one bit of information always ends up somewhere else so it's as if it never ends and i feel that is the same with the afterlife it's never ending you you're in space and time you're in space and time when you go into deep meditation as well and it's so intrinsical. I can't explain it in scientific terms, <laughs> but I just feel I don't really need to. I just have this awareness that it's all connected. So for me, I just feel as if the afterlife is another space in time and it's never ending. And another thing I wanted to add is that we can always change our minds. That's part of how the human brain is wired to work is that we have the the power to change our minds and and we're always learning we're always developing so we might be thinking one way today and then something could happen to us tomorrow that completely changes our outlook and perspective so yeah i just wanted to say that that that's okay if we decide to change our minds changing our minds is part of life so your services that you provide can you please elaborate on this passion and the support that you offer to the people yeah so um so i will say i i stepped into yet another dark night of the soul last uh december um and i'm just coming up on the other side of that um because of that i have not really been taking clients on recently um, other than for my apprenticeship program. Um, so that's something I can definitely speak to. Um, but I can also speak to my previous work as well. Um, so, uh, in terms of, in terms of my previous work, we'll start there. Um, what I was doing is essentially, so I am by the state of Michigan, um, a limited licensed practicing counselor. I do not, um, consider doorway to self to be a counseling practice um and i don't consider myself to be a counselor in this setting specifically um i consider myself to be a metaphysical practitioner so there's that word again um but basically what i do is i merge counseling techniques with psychic tools to be able to help other people to understand their mental health from that perspective um and specifically beforehand i was definitely working with folks who were struggling with depression anxiety bipolar disorder schizophrenia um dissociative identity disorder um, i mean the list kind of goes on but um many different types of mental illness and personality disorders um and what we what we were doing is essentially um breaking it down um and helping them to come back home to themselves, helping them to remember, because for most people who struggle with mental illness, it's happening because they're not in their bodies. They are disconnected from the core of their soul essence. And if you're somebody who's listening to this episode, who's struggling with that too, um, I really want to invite you to come back to yourself in this moment and and realize too if i'm saying that and that doesn't make any sense then um you know now now is as good a time as ever to begin to remember who you are um but we would work together to um basically help yeah. i would help my clients to remember who they were and um 
remember who they are, <laughs> reintegrate that into, into their bodies, come to the physical world. Um, and then, um, yeah, we would, we would work with, we would do energy work, astrology, numerology, um, sometimes card reading, um, and all sorts of different types of psychic exercises. Um, I would run what I call psychic diagnostics, which is basically helping people to understand what psychic abilities they have. Um, I think that um, when we can understand how exactly we interact with the psychic world, it can shed so much light for us on why we are the way we are, why we experience what we experience, taking our power back, etc. So yeah, that's kind of kind of what I was doing before. Um, and also before slash now I am working with, uh, folks who want to be practitioners. Um, I am honestly sick and tired of the fact that, um, that no one's doing this work. Like we need, we need ethical practitioners out there, um, highlighting ethical practitioners out mm. there, um, who are aware of the stems of mental illness from this angle. Um, I don't only work with practitioners, uh, who are working with mental illness, um, as their primary mm -hmm. role. Um, I've brought on apprentices who are working, um, let's see, I've, I've worked with a medical nurse who, um, is also doing Reiki. Um, I have worked with, um, a website developer who's wanting to integrate, um, psychic coding into her web develop development design, which is amazing. Um, I've worked with a, um, gender fluidity and sexuality educator who's wanting to integrate psychic practice and practices into her, uh, into her work, um, uh and and a few others as well so i'm excited to bring on more people in that capacity and um really just teach the teachers yeah and just to clarify metaphysical practitioner is not recognized as a health professional no yeah and that's why i made that specific verbal distinction and and always do and it's all over my website too um it says like even though i am a licensed counselor i do not um i this is not a counseling practice and i do that for legal reasons um it's just uh, oh my gosh all of the hoops that counselors have to jump through honestly this is why i'm not in the field of counseling because um it's just it's so much it's dealing with insurance and dealing with paperwork and uh note taking and um there are like all of these rules and liability things and it just i understand a lot of it is in place for for the safety of the practitioner the safety of the client and also for ethics but also a lot of it just seems like overkill to me and and if I'm being really, really blunt and truthful about this, um, as I've been working with kind of one foot in one world and one foot in the other, I've come to find that some of those counseling ethics, I think, are a little bit um, harmful because it can it can bring at least in, um, you know, I'm speaking, of course, to American counseling here, but um, I think it can bring a staleness to the client counselor relationship and um it can bring this kind of um sterility like this feeling of um there's there's just not a connection it's not it's not bringing in the love that needs to be brought in um which therefore hinders the healing yeah uh, so maybe like a, a lack of empathy it's all warmth is that what you mean it's, it's the warmth yeah yeah, yeah. that's There's really important mm. yeah because you don't even just in everyday life you don't open up to somebody unless you know you've got that warmth to them I suppose I don't know I'm thinking about people that have always seemed a bit standoffish and I obviously I pretty much stay away from that type of person yeah um which I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but yeah. <laughs> so yeah, you want to be around people that are uh, and share with people that are a bit more lively, I guess, and a bit more sensitive to you know, people's emotions maybe. But yeah, so in the pipeline for you, what what is in the future? What are you hoping to achieve eventually 
Oh goodness. <laughs> ah, wow. What a question. Um, okay. I'm so sorry if my question. No, <laughs> that's okay. That's right. Um, I, like I said, I love it. It's um, I've always enjoyed a good challenge and, and this is, this is one of those, and I'm just really appreciative of it. Oh, no, no, why, why, why would that be? <laughs> you know? I don't know. <laughs> no, you're you're a great interviewer. This is wonderful. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. It's wonderful. Um, in my future, um, so to give context here, I am 29 years of age in this current lifetime. Um, so I've got a lot of a lot of life to live ahead of me. So I just I want to stay yeah. out there for for those of you who follow me and uh, like just don't get too excited because this might be decades in the future and you know etc. So <laughs> no pressure for me, please. Um, but uh, um, so in the future, um, I I definitely would like to write a book. Um, it's uh, something that has been in the woodworks for a long time. So um, that's hopefully coming in the next couple of years. Um, I would like to, um, I would like to, at some point in life, be a professor. I think I would really enjoy that. Um, and, you know, hopefully there's some way um, that this, I mean, the research I'm doing isn't specifically like, you know, um, it's, it's all case study based. So it's not, um, it's not peer review articles. It's not, um, you know, lab based work and all of that with lines and etc. Um, so I'm hoping that somebody, and if you're, if you're out there and you're listening to this, come find me. Um, but I'm, I'm hoping that somebody with, uh, more of a science mind, um, will be able to yeah. <laughs> actually do studies on, on what I'm speaking yeah. to, um, and, uh, and, and quote, legitimize it. Right. Um, so that I can get a chance to get into university and, um, teach psychology and, you know, whatever from this lens you would make a brilliant professor by the way you Thank should you. do it do it do it do it and i'm so reading your book i think that that Thank would be an so insightful much. read so i will definitely be in touch i would really i'm really looking forward to reading that book could you please tell the listeners more about your podcast? Yeah, definitely. Um, so it's the Doorway to Self podcast, and you can find it on iTunes, Anchor, Spotify, etc. Um, lots of platforms. Um, but basically, I speak about a lot of the things that I've been speaking about with Esther here today. Um, so every week, um, or excuse me, not every week, bi-weekly on Thursdays at 2 p.m. Eastern time, um, uh, an episode is released. And most of the time, it's stuff that just, if I'm being fully transparent here, it will come to me at, you know, 11 o'clock in the morning and I publish at two. <laughs> it's like, okay, this is this is what the collective needs right now. And it'll just come spilling through. Um, I've had a few guests on, which has been wonderful. And I definitely have a couple of guests lined up uh, coming up. But for the most part, it is, um, it's just, just me channeling things through. <laughs> so. I'll leave the links in the podcast description, but how else can people find you? you can find me on Instagram um, at doorway to self at the doorway to self podcast and also follow my personal journey at rachel.leah.gerson um, r-a-c-h-e-l dot l-e-a-h dot g-e-r-s-o-n um, you can also find my website doorway to self.com I'm also on YouTube um, if you look up doorway to self um, and uh, you can reach out to me via email doorway to self at gmail.com. Although I will say I sometimes take a while to get back to emails because um, I don't know. It's, it's a thing where spirit is just like, don't respond yet. And I'm like, okay, so I don't, I don't know what that is, but I listen to it. I follow it. So <laughs> if I don't respond, that's why. <laughs> Now it's really hard to give universal advice, <laughs> but what would be your biggest tip or advice that you would give the listeners? Mm -hmm. 
I know it's really cliche, but it just time and time and time again reiterates itself. Be yourself. Be yourself. Uh, no one else has your magic. Um, be yourself. So I want to thank you, Rachel, for being a guest on my show and sharing your knowledge and wisdom and your experiences on mental health and holistic well-being. And so thanks. Yeah, thank you so much. That concludes today's episode. Mental illness is a condition that shouldn't be frowned upon. It's not an illness to be suppressed or to be ashamed of. We as a civilization have come a long way from lobotomizing and electrical shock therapy. No doubt it is probably still going on behind the scenes in a lot of countries, but it was pretty much banned in 1970s. And when you think about it, that really is not that long ago. The 1970s, yeah, I, I was born in the 1980s. So yeah, it's, we have come so far in such a short amount of time. And saying that as well, we are the civilization that uses mass amounts of medication to get better. And I do think it's slowly changing, but so many years of us being, of people just thinking medication is the answer. And so we've still got a lot of people that are in that mindset that they require medication to get better. And I'm probably gonna get a lot of people debating that and you're know, not happy with what I've said, but I, I really do believe that we are human beings, not biological entities. The, the body and the brain reacts to foreign substances and therefore our nervous system, it, it either tries to adapt to it or it tries to fight it. And so whatever this chemical is that it does to the body, the body tries to protect itself or it gets confused because it's going, where did these substances come from? And, and then that just sends people out of whack. And a lot of people are probably going, well, what about those you know, serial killers and people that go out there and they do random stuff to other people. And, you know, they're obviously nutcases and things like that. But how long were those guys on medication for? And, you know, at what point did they not have any help holistic help help and when I say that I mean you know what measures were taken before they got to that point you can't blame that all on that person not being on medication and I feel as if the media or when you hear stories they tend to just go well he forgot to take his medication so that's why he had this out burst of you know but I'm not saying that people that are on medication might become a serial killer or they might have this outburst but it's definitely this um they just don't seem to be getting better it's as if the medication is keeping them at this one level of uh going back to medication over and over and over again like it's, it's like their body has told them because their body's adapted to the medication and it believes it now needs it it's kind of messed it all up that's how I kind of see it. I'm not a, I'm not a doctor, I'm not a psychiatrist, I'm not a psychologist, but I, I just feel that that would be how I felt <laughs> if someone said to me, hey, you, are, I don't know, um, you have ADHD, here's medication, take it. I would be questioning it and saying, well, why do I have ADHD? what is it exactly is it an illness i don't even know if we should be calling it mental illness anymore i think it needs to change that name needs to change it shouldn't be called mental illness it should be called just mental health problems like <laughs> i really don't think it should be an illness anymore because it's labeled it as it's an illness so you need medication yeah i i don't know where i was going with that but so yeah, I I often think to myself, what if the world became dystopian, you know, situation where it's the end of the world, whatever, and nobody was able to to provide medication anymore. There was no pharmaceuticals. I really am curious to know what would happen to people. But yeah, I try not to look into the future. I just it that just came up into I don't know why I think I'm think I'm trying to channel. I'm trying to be like Rachel. I'm trying to channel. <laughs> 
um such an idiot sometimes but yeah this is this is fun i really enjoy podcasting anyway i i just yeah that's just my thoughts and opinions on medication and people being on medication i look at the people that i know that are suffering and they've been suffering for a really really long time and to hear not just rachel's story but there's there are other people out there that uh have combated you know how they've they've won against medication curing them and to say cured as well it's that's a tough one for me because i think everybody always has some sort of issue some sort of struggle some sort of suffering so we can never completely be cured we we constantly need to to keep ourselves out of balance I do think that you become a stronger person if you use your own willpower to do that. Whereas if somebody just thinks medication, medication, I, you know, it's going to make me feel better, you end up becoming worse off for it because you're so reliant on someone else. It's like when somebody relies on someone to look after them all the time, then you leave them on their own. They don't really know what to do. You know, it's that yeah that's just how i look at it um and i think it would if somebody wanted to get off medication as well if they've been on medication for a really long time it takes a really long time to get that medication out of your system and to start controlling and developing your pretty much your nervous system again to to trusting itself if you are somebody that struggles or if you think you maybe your child is potentially you know, has ADHD or maybe you know, you're noticing symptoms in, in your children, you know, talk to your kid and maybe take them to see a counsellor or someone in holistic well-being before you take them down the road of pharmaceutical drugs. From the people that I've interviewed, even, you know, seeing an Ayurvedic doctor trying to find the root cause before it gets to the point of no return. If people have good nutrition, they exercise, they you know, have high values, maybe even have a spiritual concept of the universe, all of those things really change someone's perspective and outlook. And I, I do think that's what mental illness in air quotes is. It is, a, it's mind, body and spirit. Anyway. Remember, people, <laughs> have an open heart, have an open mind, live your life and be free. Thanks for tuning in.